I decided that if the kids can do this, if they can take to the streets and protest about climate action, then we should be doing the same. If they can step outside their comfort zone and go and organise a bunch of other teenagers and stand up and do a speech, which is something that terrifies me as an adult, so that's probably pretty terrifying to teenagers as well, then we should be brave enough to do that as well. You're listening to Hope Act Thrive by Be The Future. Or we like to call it HATS for short. And you, my dear listeners, are our Mad Hatters. HAT is an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation. Whether you're a planet-conscious parent, groovy grandparent, fab foster carer, terrific teacher, awesome auntie, or any other member of the extended family. We're having conversations with leading doers, thinkers, and shakers in climate action that will inspire you to stay optimistic, feel part of an ever-growing movement, and take actions that fit into your busy lives. Just like you, we want to create a better, greener, fairer future for the kids in our life. So, who are we? I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer and parent, and co-host of this podcast. I'm the one providing the Aussie accent. And I'm Helen Hill, and I'm an educator, author and designer. The one with a very exotic British Bolton accent. Hello and welcome to the Hope Act Thrive podcast. Today's episode is with Rowan Ryrie, a mother of two young girls and a founding member of grassroots parents movements in the UK and globally called Parents for Future. Since 2019, this movement has become one of the biggest networks of parent organising around the world. Rowan is a trained lawyer and believes passionately in the potential power of parents and intergenerational movements to create change. She works to create and support communities of emerging climate leaders with a focus on female leadership. Parents for Future's work incorporates emotional support and Rowan's activism is inspired by and rooted in love. This episode is supported by Parents for Future UK, which inspires and empowers parents to use their voice and advocate for climate and biodiversity and be part of the solution to help protect their children's future. In this conversation, we'll be talking about how parents can engage in climate action, the importance for our kids of doing so, and looking after ourselves and our families as we take action. So let's get into our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Rowan. Thank you very much for having me. Love all the work that Parents of Future is doing, and obviously you're a huge part of driving that forward. So would love to get started with hearing about your catalyst for getting involved in climate action. Yeah, I'm always happy to tell this story. Excuse me if I'm spluttering a bit today, I have a cold. So my my background, as you said, is I've worked in, in law for many years before jumping into climate activism. So I'd worked in human rights and environmental law, but never in climate. And climate felt a bit too big and like something I needed to be an expert on to be able to engage around climate. So I stayed away, like many of us do, I think. That changed for me in 2018 when I had my second daughter and I had that experience that many parents go through of feeling that deep love that deep connection with the world um, and a sense of kind of connection to other species and I felt deeply lucky that I was able to raise my child in safety um, and in a environment when you know I was able to um, I had a home I was I felt secure I felt safe etc and I, I felt at that point um, a connection to other species that didn't have that it felt like there's there's a connection to mothers and mothering across species that that, that was particularly apparent for me at that point in time the hormones of 
motherhood of young babyhood, I think is probably part of that story. Um, also at that time, I started, my elder daughter was about to start school. And so my kids are now three and seven, and she was just about to start school then. And that took me out of thinking in the very short term, immediate frame of mind that you're in, I think, when you're parenting babies and toddlers, and started to think about what her future was going to look like, and about what the education was going to be that she was going to have, that, and how that was going to prepare her for the future she would live through. And I started to join several dots and realised that the education that kids are getting at the moment in no way prepares them for the future that they're likely to, to have, likely to, to live through in terms of climate impacts. So that made me start to think about the fact that long term thinking is in many ways a big part of parenting. We are very responsible for thinking long term about what's the right choice for our kids. And yet we're not really doing that on environmental issues. That autumn, a big report was published called the IPCC report on 1.5 degrees. The IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is scientists from all around the world that come together to talk about science and then come to some agreements about actually what's happening. And that report talked about um, the chances of staying within a 1.5 degree temperature rise and what would happen if we don't and talk through various scenarios. And it was pretty apocalyptic. It's a shocking report and it's very, very clear and kind of clearly written about, you know, what that future might look like. And that was the report that was publicised with, we've got 11 years to try to turn this around. And at that point, I was looking at my daughter's 11 years in school and thinking, right, so she's still going to be a child and we're going to run out of time to turn this around. And so it's on us as parents and as adults to act now. We can't wait for our kids to try and take this on. At the same time, Extinction Rebellion started up in the UK. Um, so there were a lot of headlines about climate activism and the importance of action and you know, lots, of, lots of energy around that space. Um, and then the school strike movement started. In Greta started striking in August of 2018. But the movement really became big and international through that winter. And then the first strikes in the UK were in January and February of 2019. <clears throat> and at that point, I, I just decided to go along. I decided that if the kids can do this, if they can take to the streets and protest about climate action, then we should be doing the same. If they can step outside their comfort zone and go and organise a bunch of other teenagers and stand up and do a speech, which is something that terrifies me as an adult, so that's probably pretty terrifying to teenagers as well, then we should be brave enough to do that as well. So I went along to the first school strike movement in Oxford, where I live, in February 2019, and just decided at that point that I was going to do everything I could to engage adults alongside that movement. And that's what I've kept doing in various ways over the last three years. I love that. And I think... It's so important for this to be intergenerational, isn't it? And seeing young people out there taking so much action and, and really taking so much of their lives and their emotion and their focus to try and make the change we need. We absolutely need many, many more parents and, and you know other generations stepping into. And so I guess what are the different ways that parents can get involved in this movement around Parents for Future? Can you talk us through how that movement and that journey started and then um, what parents can do to get involved? Yeah, sure. And I completely agree around the intergenerational piece. I think, you know, we all need to do this. It shouldn't be on any one age group to try and resolve this. I think some of the best ways that parents can get involved is by finding other people to connect with. And that's been a big learning for me 
as I've started to do more activism has been the importance of connecting with other people and finding others who are engaging around climate activism in the same way that you are. So through Parents for Future, there's networks of local groups um, in many countries around the world and in many towns and cities. There's also national organising. So you can try to find a local group to get involved with. Also following on social media, and there's quite a lot of campaigns that we do on social media, which are impactful. It doesn't have the same emotional connection um, as being able to connect with people locally. Um, but there's also lots of online meetings that we host um, with the global parent climate groups and with the national and local parent climate groups. And through the pandemic, we found lots of ways to create community and support each other, um, even when we haven't been able to meet in person. It's also important that a lot of these parent climate groups are entirely led by volunteers. So you can get involved in whatever way you want to, whether that's just following on social media, whether that's showing up to meetings, whether that's taking part in actions that are happening locally, or whether that's getting really involved in leading some of the work, um, there's scope to, to be involved in whatever way feels right for you. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you're saying. Having worked in education for, well, most of my career, and you can really see how the community and the parents can really help build that connection with the education through the children. And one question we wanted to ask you is what power do you believe that parents have to create change? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think parents are actually a really important group to create change because parents are everywhere. Parents are you know, part of every school community, importantly, but also part of every business, part of every village, every town, every government. Um, and if we find that find our voice and find that we can start to speak up on some of these big picture issues like climate, then I think parents really do have an important voice in taking that to decision makers and asking them to make decisions that are going to give our kids a long term future there is a lot of power that we haven't really unleashed yet as parents and one of the pieces that we're exploring at the moment is finding ways for parents to be able to engage in their workplaces. Lots of employers are wanting to find ways to take action on climate and employees can actually be a really powerful group in pushing for the businesses that they're part of to start to make some change. Um, but also talking to parents who are decision makers so lots of our lots of our leaders lots of our elected leaders lots of people in positions of power in in business and industry etc they're also parents and so I think it's important to find ways to get them also to connect with their power and realize that actually they are in an important position to make some decisions that are going to affect their children and many other children around the world. That's a really good point you make Rowan around where parents already have power because you know, something we, we talk about at Be The Future is this whole idea of agency and finding where you already have passion and skills and you're spending time and things that give you joy, focus on taking climate action there. And so, you know, particularly because parents are often very busy people juggling all the things, it makes so much sense to really enable parents to make change and to be taking action where they've already got some of that power and influence and where they're already spending some of their time. So it's really interesting to hear that. So that's one of the directions you're taking next. And I guess just to follow on from that, what are some of your most successful campaigns or things you've done with Parents of Future Bean, whether it's in the UK or globally? 
Good question. And I, I fully agree, like each individual parent has actually got a really unique network of power around them because, you know, I have access to spaces that nobody else probably does in terms of the actual the networks around me, my local community, national and other spaces. So enabling people to recognise that and then use that, use the conversations or take conversations to those spaces is important. And just talking about climate is is really impactful in terms of some of the campaigns that have I've really enjoyed or ones that have gone really well. There've been lots um, and I think we're still experimenting to find out which ones really are good at engaging lots of parents and which ones are impactful in different ways. I'd say that we did a lot of work around COP26, which was the big climate conference in Glasgow last year. And we did some work around fossil fuels and asked for lots of parent groups to sign on to a letter calling for no new fossil fuels, which is, important and you know every scientific report that's been published for quite some years um, and particularly some influential ones in the last year have said we need to stop drilling for fossil fuels and we need to stop taking it out of the ground um, so we had that as a clear ask and we managed to get a lot of parent groups who are not part of the parent climate movement at all sign on to that letter and that felt quite important that we're able to get you know the parent teacher associations the nct groups the you know, some other kind of parent climate communities who were interested in supporting that. And that felt that felt really hopeful to me that we're able to use the, the parent voice to connect lots of parent groups across the world to this very important ask around fossil fuels. So that was a good piece of work. Um, I've enjoyed some of the creative projects we've done. So we did a project last Mother's Day with lots of illustrators called Our Other Mother and we asked lots of illustrators to draw a picture inspired by Our Other Mother um, and we used that on social media and we've then taken that in various other directions and used it for exhibitions in countries around the world um, and used it for other materials and things and that's been lovely. I think creativity is hugely important and the power of a really good image to allow us to connect with the emotional side of climate activism and what why we're doing this as parents has been lovely to be able to bring that through. I've also really been inspired by and enjoyed being part of some work we've done with the insurance industry in the UK, which sounds really boring, but um, the insurance industry is hugely important because without insurance, no fossil fuel project can go ahead. So they're this important kind of linchpin in enabling fossil fuel exploration to keep happening. And we've worked with Parents for Future in the UK together with Mothers Rise Up, which is a sister movement here, um, to target Lloyds of London, which is a really important part of the insurance kind of space as a whole. Um, and very specifically to target the man who sits at the top of Lloyds of London, who's a dad of four. And we've used all sorts of quite creative techniques, including sending him an advent calendar with little cricket figures and um, doing small but creative protests outside Lloyd's. Through that, we've been able to get some access to go and meet with some of the senior team there and the man at the top, Bruce Carnegie Brown himself. And that's because we're taking this perspective of talking to him as mothers. We're, you know, we're, we're going as mothers and saying we're here because we love our kids and we're really scared about their future and you've got power to do something about that. And we're addressing him as a dad and saying, you know, you've got you're in a position that we're not in. You have power that we don't. So that's been really interesting to explore ways in which parents can connect with other parents in powerful positions. 
Well, you totally had me with talking about creativity being a, a superpower there. So that's definitely my calling point. One thing that is quite a big feeling within this area is that it's quite a big undertaking to build a community like this and similarly it can be really intimidating for the parents and, and the mothers or in my case the aunties because it feels quite a foreign maybe frightening thing to do so what would you say to these people that are maybe feeling that fear and the intimidation yeah really good question and we've actually we've talked a lot about you know the language we use in the movement we don't want it to be excluding of non-parents um, and we've we've kind of gone around in circles with some of the language that we use there a few times but there is also this immediate connection in using the parent you know naming that as the people that we're trying to reach but aunties uncles godparents grandparents they're all very welcome it's not meant to be just mums or just dads though it is mostly mums I will say that this is largely a movement that's driven by women and that's been a kind of important feature throughout I'd say we get it that it's really uncomfortable talking about climate um, it's really uncomfortable thinking about this stuff um, and the idea of going along to a meeting to think about climate when it feels really frightening isn't very appetizing um, a lot of the media that we hear about climate is it's all terrible, we can't do anything about it, and that isn't very engaging. And I think there's a really important story that's not really coming out around, actually, there's lots we can do. There's lots of things that we can start to change. Um, and the more we do do, the better chance our kids are going to have of having you know, a safe, livable planet. So there's lots there's lots of kind of positive messaging that's not often coming through at the moment but it is it is frightening to try and engage around climate um i will say that it's also it is frightening for many but it is also really heartening when you do find some other people who are thinking about it and that's been really important for me of finding some other people who who've helped me feel less alone because i think for many parents there's this kind of gnawing pit of the stomach like unease that oh, that's that is probably quite a bad thing those reports probably do mean there's some some bad stuff coming down the line or already here of course for many families around the world who it, you know can't put this out of their mind because it's already very present but for lots of people it's this kind of gnawing doubt and finding other people who who have that and who acknowledge that that's something that they want to take some action on um, has been really important because it's otherwise it's very easy to feel like you're the only person worrying about this um, and realizing that actually lots of other people are also worrying about it and also don't quite know what to do but do want to do something and maybe together you can come up with some ideas around where to start um, can often be really really helpful um, and it doesn't have to be connecting with any specific group I think finding a group of people that you want to be part of is important and there needs to be space in the broad climate movement for lots of different groups so it's not just um, not just any particular group of organizers or activists or a group with any particular name actually there's space for a lot of people engaging in a lot of different ways. I'd really echo that Rowan that I think finding other people who can really see, you know, the current mess that we're in and the real need for change and are then hopefully trying to get involved in doing things about it. It helps immensely. But I know something that that I struggle with quite a bit is I feel like there's this gear change in life where 
I'll be very involved in climate advocacy or in in projects or in speaking with people or communities and so in this climate space. And then there are other parts of my life where I feel like it's complete business as usual and it feels like none of this is even happening. And I find that gear change quite challenging. I'm still trying to figure out how to go back and forth between that and navigate those different emotions. And I'd love to understand from you how you navigate that, if there's any things you've found helpful in that, in trying to live, you know, a full life with your family and your friends and your kids and everything else that goes on, everything that life is about, and be a part of taking climate action? Yeah, great question. And it it can be really confusing and it can make you feel quite quite alone and quite angry when you're focusing on something that feels so big and so important and everyone around you seems to be completely ignoring that. I don't have a perfect answer to this. I've been that person that tries to bring climate into every conversation many times. Uh, It doesn't necessarily make you the person everyone wants to come and talk to at the school gates, (laughs) Um, but it has felt important to try and weave that conversation in. I think where I'm at at the moment is I live in a community where there are lots of like-minded people and that actually really helps me to know that there's a lot of people around me who are engaging in some way so it doesn't feel like everybody here is completely ignoring it but then once I go somewhere else or you know have conversations with different communities again I'm reminded that there are these huge groups of people who aren't in any way engaging around climate activism. I talk with a bunch of people locally and friends and family about climate but I also allow myself not to talk about it all the time and allow myself to just be part of other conversations and other communities and, you know, accept that I'm doing as much as I can in the spaces I'm working in um, and that it's okay sometimes to put it down and trust that you're doing as much as you can elsewhere. But I do think that for people who feel uncomfortable talking about climate, I feel like people around them are not talking about it. There are some wonderful resources out there And I'd really recommend Catherine Hayhoe's work, who talks a lot about the importance of just talking about climate and has some brilliant videos and books around how to do that effectively and how to talk to people who aren't already thinking about climate. And I think reading and, you know, watching those kind of videos can help you realise that it's okay to find that a bit uncomfortable um, and it can be really empowering and impactful to do that still and to kind of prepare yourself to go and have some difficult conversations Um, and you might be surprised by the responses sometimes you'll find if you frame that in a way that allows other people to connect with you actually others will say actually I am a bit worried about that too and that can really help. I'm a huge fan of Catherine Hoho's work as well and I think that's right I think there's so much in life that is about messaging and how you frame things and so it's it's probably a huge part of this to keep learning and thinking and developing those skills too around how you can better communicate around it and I guess different things that will resonate for different people too. Yeah on the messaging point we've done some fantastic research with Climate Outreach who've done a lot of work in the UK around messaging and thinking about who's the messenger for different climate messages and that's been really helpful in helping us work out exactly who are we trying to speak to with some of the different messaging and you know what words are effective to reach some of those different audiences and what are the messages and how do you communicate and that's actually reinforced for me the importance of talking about climate with this intergenerational perspective and talking about the impact it's going to have on our children and ways in which 
we as parents can work to create a better world for our children. So there's ways that you can frame that absolutely as a positive as well as as a imperative for us to step up and act. But yeah, thinking very carefully about how we talk about it, what language we use and who we're speaking to has been something I've I've had to learn to think about because it's I'm not from a communications background. So it's um that's been a piece for me to to learn and understand more of over the last three years. Absolutely. That that research, is that something publicly available or is that something internal? Uh, some of it's available. So there's a write-up of some of the research that we did with climate outreach that's on their website. Yeah, and they've done some fantastic research in the UK around different climate audiences. So they segmented the British population into kind of seven different groups um, with some research called Britain Talks Climate and looking at, you know, how you communicate with some of those different audiences. And that's obviously cross-political um, and that there's yeah different ways that you can reach some of those different groups. And yeah, I don't know exactly what that research would look like in other countries. I know that's something they're thinking about at the moment. Obviously, the landscape in Australia, for example, would be very different. <laughs> yeah, I think Australian Parents for Climate Action do have a segmentation up on some of their website material around communicating. So I can share that too. Actually, that could be quite interesting just to even see how it differs. Because I know I've seen Yale, their climate centre, have also segmented too. So it'd be interesting to see if they're all quite different or quite similar mm-hmm. across those three countries. Yeah. So we'll share the links to the various research we've mentioned in the show notes. And so I guess another thing, moving on, I guess, from, you know, this need for messaging and positivity. So what does give you hope for the future? People, I think, um, which probably are also the thing that don't give me hope. But I think working with other other people who are really stepping up and taking action is, is the thing that on a day-to-day level gives me most hope. I think as I said earlier, it can be really frightening if you feel that you're alone with worries about climate action. And then once you start to step up, or once I've started to step up and take action, find ways to become active in this space, and found lots of other people who are doing the same, that's the thing on a day-to-day basis that gives me hope. And also, you know, allowing myself to think creatively about ways in which the world could could change for the positive is important. And there's lots of things about the way society functions right now that I think lots of us aren't that happy with. So there's definitely scope for improvement. And I have to hope that some of the changes that come, because change is coming, whether we like it or not, um, that some of those changes are going to be for the better and are going to allow our kids to live a slightly different life and maybe have a different work-life balance and maybe not be stressed so much in the way that many of our generation are and many young people are at the moment. and you know, have a different connection with nature and understand our place in the world slightly differently. So I do I do hold on to that hope that there are positives coming and that there are lots of people around the world who are working really hard to try and push in a positive direction. And it does feel like there are changes. It does feel like there's more people who are receptive to some of these conversations, but there are also a lot of vested interests, obviously pushing back and not wanting us to change in a positive direction because there's a lot of money to be made in existing industries, which is difficult to to see ways around. But I think it has to be seeing seeing people in action does give me hope. It does, doesn't it? And I think there is that study around 3% of people needed to really be involved in a movement to make change happen. So it's not like you know every single person needs to be involved and needs to agree that 
change really has to happen if you can get a subset of society really involved and and being part of that voice then that better future really could be within reach still yeah and there's a lot of people out there who do want to do something but they're not quite sure what to do so finding ways still i think we haven't really cracked this as a climate movement finding ways that we can get those people really active and show them that there's stuff they can do that they do have power that there are spaces where they can make change it does still feel like there's a lot of a lot of work that we haven't really managed to work out how to do that powerfully so there's lots of people working on trying to do that but it does sometimes feel like a an uphill battle <laughs> trying to work out how to get people to show up or how to get people to you know engage in whatever the action is that we're we're working on um, and trying to make it fun you know I readily acknowledge that writing to your MP isn't always a very rewarding activity it's important because MPs do hold power and they do need to hear from us they need to hear what people are worried about and what people want but in a lot of parts of the country MPs don't really respond and that doesn't make it a very rewarding activity to take part in so finding a mixture of ways for people to engage that's both political and impactful and challenging the system and also has that feeling of empowerment and that we're actually having some impact with this on a, on a kind of smaller scale is really important. It's a real sweet spot, isn't it? Yeah. And so I guess one last question for you then, Rowan. So what's one last thing you'd like to tell guardians of the next generation? So, you know, whether they're parents or carers, aunts, uncles, grandparents, what would you like to tell them? There's lots you can do. And I think it's for each individual person to work out what it is that they can do. It's for each person to work out where is the space where they can have some some impact and where they can step up in some way. And I think for people to realise that they they can do something, there are ways for everybody to engage that doesn't have to feel difficult or overwhelming, but also that it's really important. We are short on time here. The more we can take action now, the less action we have to take long term. So it is it is important for people to try to engage in some way in the shorter term, as well as, you know, thinking longer term about what is it that I want to do long term. But we do need people to be using their voice within the next few years because it is going to be it's going to get more and more difficult to reduce the impacts of climate change the longer it takes us to do this. So the more people are able to engage now, the better for all of our kids. Thanks so much for joining us. Your initiation into the Hatter tribe is now complete. We really hope this episode inspired you and that you're coming back for more. If it did, please review, subscribe and share this episode with a curious, climate conscious friend. It makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you. And there's lots more where that came from. Check out the show notes for more details on this episode and our fabulous guest. And if you just can't get enough of us and manage to grab another few minutes peace in your day, do come hang out with us on social channels where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco-anxiety and gloom into fun and playful action. And not forgetting you can regularly see us making a fool of ourselves on Reels. Together we can hope, act, thrive.